0: celebrating classics and creating new ones only on the music vibes podcast now here's your host dc Hendricks. welcome back i'm dc hendrix here the
1: host of the music vibes podcast appreciate you tuning in doing our first video that's right, we're gonna try to start doing more of these where I give you more of a behind the scenes look. You know, it's quarantine, a lot of us still working from home. And so I figured out to try to take advantage of that. And I, I know I have a lot of guests that are all across the world. And I interview people from LA all the way to London, all the way to New York. So obviously we're not by each other even if we're not quarantined and told to stay at home because of COVID-19. So I figured I'd start trying to do videos. Um, and try to show you and give you more of a behind-the-scenes look of how I put everything together and let you see us in person I don't think I have like one interview up that was an in-person interview and that was with guitarist of third-eye-blind Chris Reed, so gonna start trying to do more of these uh, More you know behind the scenes looks and as you hear the Beatles in the background That's what we talked today revolver the Beatles album. That's what we're doing today. We did a bracket challenge on twitter the music vibes greatest album of all time challenge and i let fans on twitter vote for which album each and every round i let twitter vote for which album advances like a tournament like an ncaa tournament we didn't have march madness so i wanted to do something different so i did that and head to head in the championship you had the beatles revolver head to head against marvin Gaye. yeah marvin against marvin gay what's going on and in a small victory it was like a buzzer beater Revolver wins over what's going on. So, today I'm going to be joined by the one and only the Beatles historian himself. He has Beatles books out. He literally teaches a Beatles class at Monmouth University. He's a dean at Monmouth University. There's no other person to be. I mean, I guess I could get Paul McCartney if that's big enough, but uh, he's not doing any interviews right now. But we got Kenneth Womack. Dr. Kenneth Womack of Monmouth University is going to be joining us to talk Revolver by the Beatles. All right. So, kick back, relax. We time travel back to 1966, when the Beatles album Revolver was released and they changed pop music forever. So I'm your host DC Hendrix, back with another edition here. It's been a while, Um, took a little break. Um, I know this quarantine has everyone going crazy. I had to take a little break myself, you know, get everything situated. Plus, the music industry is almost dead right now. So, like, what are we supposed to talk about? We can only talk about a new Bob Dylan song for so long. We can only talk about the new Rolling Stones song for so long. So we're back here. we got something great to talk about because we have a brand new champion. Music vibes, greatest album of all time. We've been doing a bracket for the last month or so and letting Twitter decide who's the winner, who advances in NCAA tournament style. And we have a Beatles winner we got Beatles Revolver as our Music Vibes Greatest Album of All Time champion, our first annual, probably only because we're only going to do this once, or we'll figure <laughs> out the way to do it next year, but Revolver, Greatest Album, first When I first mentioned that, and of course, as we bring in our fantastic guest, the one and only author, I know he's a dean at Monmouth University, he's the Beatles' go-to guy when we talk Beatles, and that's Mr. Kenneth Womack joining us, what's going on, how you doing?
0: Uh, it's just great to see you, DC, I hope you're doing well.
1: Absolutely, it's great to see people. I'm seeing, and this is the first video video interview we've done as well, so this is kind of cool.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I'm proud to be the guinea pig.
1: That's right. And I didn't get a chance to see you at the the Beatles White Album listening party, so this is this is my chance to do it virtually, I guess. So there you go. We'll make it happen someday. That's right. I'll be there. <laughs> Um, and we also have a fantastic record club I want to get to later before we let you go and all that good stuff, but Revolver. So when I say, and obviously in our bracket, we had Sgt. Peppers, of course, Abbey Road, White Album, they're all in it, but the, the fans decide, the Twitter fans decide Revolver, the greatest album ever. When I first say that, what comes to your mind? Ambition. Ambition, and, and why, so why do you think they decided Revolver? great album of all time.
0: Um, Well, I think fans come back to it again and again, because uh, it's such a a powerful record in the sense that it brings you lots of different styles and genres and, uh, you know, epic songwriting all along the way. But it's the ambition that really sort of grabs you by the throat. That is a record that um, stands the test of time, because it shows the Beatles standing up and saying, we really nailed it with Rubber Soul. But now... You know, we're going to take a ride and we're daring you to join us. And Revolver is that record where it all starts in, in so many ways.
1: So help me read track here. So obviously this is after "Rubber Soul. And so like, did they take a hiatus or something before this? I was reading up on it and it said something about how they were planning to take a break was that before or after the release of Revolver
0: so after the uh, well what happened was after the release of Rubber Soul they did a a mini British tour Mm -hmm. and it's an important one because it's their last right um you know they had they decided at that point uh at least loosely that they would not tour their homeland again of course brian epstein was hoping that it's not true uh you know these are young guys surely it won't last but of course they meant it they will do one two more shows right uh, in the history of of their work in great britain one will be the pole winners concert in 1966 and of course the other will be the rooftop concert um, in any event, uh, they they take a little bit of time off to um, accumulate new material. That was usually the challenge uh, when they were on the road uh, f- so often. Um, and they get together and uh, very ambitiously, from the from the word go, um, they start with tomorrow never knows, right? Which is this uh, enormous moment uh, of creation that really kicks the whole thing into being.
1: Yeah, and also, and. You know, coming into this album, and this one, we talked a little bit about this with the White Album, too, is, you know, how diverse they were with the sound in the White Album. But I almost, after, it's been a while since I listened to Revolver, so obviously I gave it a, I mean, I'm listening to it as as we're even talking right now, I don't know if you can hear it, but I've been, you know, know, taking it in all over again, because... You know, you know how it is. One week the White Album's your favorite, the next week Sgt. Pepper's your favorite Beatles album ever. And it changes. So now I'm listening to, I've been listening to Revolver for like a week straight now. <laughs> uh, they were that's the one thing I noticed is their their diversity and their range, you know, of what they reached on this album. And I see why this ended up changing pop music altogether. How do you think was that something that they were aiming for is they really wanted to change something in music and revolutionize
0: pop music right well about the time they get to Rubber Soul and certainly this idea is really concrete with revolver um, they had decided um, that with every new record instead of doing the same old thing they were going to try to grasp and grapple with a new sound it's a really gutsy move in a lot of ways right they're going to stand up and attempt something new every time out of the gate. And when you think about it, uh, particularly in that moment in early 1966, popular music wasn't really operating like that, right? People weren't thinking of themselves as making masterworks. They liked Pet Sounds, for example, by, by the Beach Boys, which was fairly new. They liked, uh, they loved Dylan, and they admired what he was doing, but he wasn't necessarily at this point trying for something new out of the gate every time. He was, of course, evolving his sound, um, but they didn't really have a lot of models to look to or look towards, and w- what I love about them is encapsulated in that great John Lennon quote. When he was asked about where the Beatles are in the pantheon of the 1960s, he always made a point of saying, oh, we were there with everybody else, but we were in the Crow's neck. We were way above the deck, looking out over the horizon and functioning in a kind of leadership capacity, right? Um, and about this time, and this is very important to the revolver story, um, they feel really challenged uh, for the first time. They, they hear something in, in Pet Sounds, for example, uh, that sounds like very much Brian Wilson trying to push the boundaries. Uh, which is what they they saw themselves as doing. Um, And, of course, with Revolver, they're going to do things that the Beach Boys don't even understand, right? Right. Um, And then uh, the bigger moment is actually in August, after Revolver's done, and they're out there in California, the weekend before their final show at Candlestick Park. And they go to a party, and Brian plays an early version for them, Brian Wilson, of Good Vibrations and their jaws drop right because suddenly they can hear this other band whom they're impressed by but you know certainly not belittled by but suddenly these guys are doing something that really feels other well otherworldly to them um and of course what's the next beatles song that they work on strawberry fields forever
1: that's right that's right and as john Lennon would say At this time, the Beatles were more popular than Jesus.
0: (laughs) And, of course, uh, he had said that intellectually. I always feel bad for him. He'd read that uh, Hugh Schoenbaum book, The Passover Plot, right? And so he was being a thinking person and asking hard questions about religion. But that just shows you the media was certainly not ready for that. (laughs) That's
1: right. That's right. And the media obviously just takes it and runs with it. And... You know, you see that kind of stuff. And, you know, when I think of this album, obviously this came right before Sgt. Pepper's. So I know that's the big, you know, that's the big home run. Everyone knows Sgt. Pepper's, but this one, I mean, obviously they would be, you know, Sgt. Pepper's without Revolver leading into it. And what this album did uh, leading into it. I mean, there's so many deep tracks on here. And you know how I am. I like to dig in a little bit and talk about the deep tracks of it. So in my opinion, Eleanor Rigby, I don't think another track stands out. More than that, the second it starts, I'm, I'm just immediately drawn in, it's just so smooth. And in, in my in my eyes, Beatles at their prime and why they are set apart as the greatest ever. I mean, this album right here, I love the Rolling Stones, believe me. We all do, but, and they are still, they're still out there kicking. The Rolling Stones still releasing new songs I was talking about a little bit ago, but albums like Revolver is why the Beatles are the greatest band to ever make music and you know talking about the deep tracks so what are some deep tracks for you you know that you know resonate with you even more so I, I imagine you've taken in this album probably as many times as i have over, especially over this last week even um what are some tracks that stand out to you and why
0: well my gosh it could be just about any of them quite frankly um and like you, when I, when I find myself returning to an album like this, the track is not always the same one that I admire, right? Um, although I always respect all of them uh, because they demand it and have earned it. Um, I mean, you bring up Eleanor Rigby, which is such a great example. I mean, it's an amazing poem, first of all, uh, that, that McCartney largely has composed. Um, but then you have that arresting sound of the, the orchestration that George Martin uh, pulls together. And you know what's amazing about that song and and what's amazing about this moment right now, even in our COVID confinement, right? Even in this moment right now, there are kids all across the world discovering the Beatles for the first time. And when you hear a song like Eleanor Rigby, right, it arrests your attention. Um, It demands your attention. You listen to it. It sounds as fresh as it did back then. Uh, As we both know, George Martin, um, you know, knocked himself out, making sure those recordings were as perfect as possible. So that helps. But secondly, it's just great writing. Um, And so we find ourselves just arrested by those images and sounds. I actually think about uh, and I think this is probably true for a lot of folks, uh, you know, regardless of, uh, of who and where they are. Right tomorrow never knows to me um i go back to a lot simply because it's such a leap forward you know um it's it's even i always say that it's hard to imagine you know the band doing uh <laughs> doing uh, all you need is love in the summer of 1967 being the same band that did she loves you you know four summers earlier i think it's even uh i think it's even more difficult to think about um, the band doing Tomorrow Never Knows as being the same group that just made Rubber Soul. Um, it's that, it's that uh, remarkable. And you know, when you listen to that song, which is such a leap forward, there are so many great little stories. I mean, even George Martin had to play that politically very shrewdly. Uh, when they first talked about the song with him and gave him a sense of it at a meeting before they started recording the album, he was very sly. He just kind of Touched his chin and said, ah, very interesting, instead of, wow, that's too far out or I don't know how the hell we're going to do that. None of that happened, but rather um, just this really smart moment where he sort of held himself in check to let the process take uh, to take over and define things.
1: Yeah, and obviously, and right now, you know, of course, Yellow Submarine is playing (laughs) right now as I'm, you know, I was getting ready to talk about here, there, and everywhere, and then Yellow Submarine comes on. It's like, um, and, you know, digging a little bit deeper because I know this is something that you touched in your George Martin books as well um, that I definitely want to promote as well later on, but the engineering and production behind this album, obviously, you have the fantastic songwriting and the vocals and everything that's put together, but without the engineering... I want to dig into that a little bit because you also have the book on solid state um, that I know I interviewed you about last time. I'm um, just kind of going to, you know, the engineering and production part behind this album. What do you think in their mind? Cause the Beatles had already done so much at this point. I mean, already like, like we talked about earlier, we joke, but more popular than Jesus at this point. So like, what do you think their mission was as the producers and as the engineers going into this project?
0: Well, one of the, uh, the great engineering surprises of this moment is Jeff Emrick, right? So Jeff, uh, prior to this, had been uh, a junior guy. I mean, he's a very young guy, even when he starts working on Revolver with George Martin. But he's a junior guy and um, he's, uh, he's brought on board, he's what, 17 or something ridiculous like that, uh, when he starts working on this record. And what's interesting is the creative space that they give him is fairly considerable. So here, as you said, this is the biggest band in the world right um, you know today we we would manage something like that with like a committee of <laughs> corporate you know corporate leaders and sponsors uh, but they really gave them space to just be who they were and do what they want I mean obviously EMI had its limitations they'd get awful cheap sometimes but uh, for the most part, they said, you know what, we own this studio, go to it. Um, you want to work with this kid, that's fine. Emric, of course, is made possible by the fact that George Martin um, has gone out on his own in the last six months or so. And so what that means is he needs a new engineer because the engineer before him had been promoted. <laughs> right. uh, and I guess that was Norman Smith who uh, goes on to what, what? Uh, um, produce Pink Floyd or something like that. Yeah, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And so suddenly, uh, you know, George has uh, a new person he's working with. And that creates this fascinating, this fascinating shift in their creative chemistry.
1: Absolutely well said. And, uh, you know, before we even get to the songs, the, the, some of the songs on the album, because I'm going to put you on the spot and we're going to okay. play this or that. And I'm going to make you choose which song out of the two. Um, so on this record, um, before we even get to that, though. So obviously, as we mentioned, Sergeant Peppers comes after this. Rubber Soul precedes this album today here on May 11th. We're recording this 2020 because I, I say today because I know this is, this opinion is going to change probably even tomorrow. Maybe maybe even a few hours after we do this. Where does Revolver rank for you? Now, the listener, the Twitter votes decided that Revolver is the best. All right, and I'll let them decide, you know. But for you, where does Revolver rank in the Beatles catalog?
0: Wow, okay, so I'm, I'm probably going to lose some friends among our listeners, but um, it's not number one for me. Uh, I do think Revolver's fascinating, by the way, in the way that it has become number one for so many Beatles fans. But, of course, until 1987, uh, it wasn't understood in the proper way because of course prior to that it had been released in this american version which is very different uh from the what 14 tracks on the british version and how they're arranged and sequenced so um it has a relatively new reputation uh in the united states that has really held strong for a long time now since then um, but uh, i mean it, it would be in my top five there's no doubt about it but um i mean it makes so many other things possible Right, Um, it makes Sergeant Pepper possible. It makes uh, Abbey Road. Abbey Road, certainly the White Album. You know, Um, so I mean, those those three records to me are actually more important in the sense that Revolver opened the door. But I mean, it's in my top five. But like you said, I mean, it's it's hard to rank uh, the Beatles' masterworks because you need them all um and they're just essential listening just like great books right um if you love the great gatsby you're not gonna you know (laughs) you're not gonna toss it off of your um of your nightstand for any reason whatsoever
1: classic book by the way nice drop in there um and movie by the way that's classic But well, I, I think
0: you know don't you agree in, in a lot of ways great albums are like that though I mean we return to them and we read them again um, and you hear them differently you hear a sound uh, the way something's written um, the way something's sung uh, you still have your favorite parts right but
1: I told you I told you last time I think the last time I interviewed you I had just got my vinyl record player um, so I was pretty fresh on the vinyl in the vinyl side So I've listened to Revolver but it sounds so much different on vinyl. It takes it to a whole new level. You hear all the little little details in it, and that's why, for me, I moved Revolver up a little bit after this. I did. I really did. I know I'm probably, you know, might be living in the moment a little bit, but I I moved it up. I have, so I still got the white album number one. I'm sorry. I don't think that's ever going to (laughs) change. I just, you know, and I take a lot of heat on that, so... We'll both be taking heat on that, but I got the White Album still, and I got Abbey Road still above this. I, it, it's it's Revolver or Sgt. Pepper's for me.
0: Yeah, it's,
1: ah, they're right there. Uh, but yeah, that was the tough decision for me. And when you you, I mean, almost every single time you listen to an album, it it gives you a different feeling. It doesn't. It can be today or tomorrow or next week. You listen to Revolver and you get a different feeling, or you may catch a new lyric. You know that you didn't hear right the first time, and that's what that's what's so awesome about the Beatles, not only in general, but with Revolver. There's just some stuff that you don't hear. You know every single time, and that's what I got. Like songs like um, "Good Day Sunshine" that I'm listening to right now at this moment. I've listened to the song so many times and you know it took me several years to even get what exactly what they were talking about in the song you know it's like oh yeah I like this this is smooth but what are they talking about <laughs> that's what that's what makes Revolver so special so I'm putting you on the spot now because okay. was somebody to me so I'm gonna do this to you all right so we're gonna play a game of this or that I'm gonna give you two songs off Revolver and you gotta pick one and tell me why you picked that one over the other All right. We got Good Day Sunshine head to head. I'm going to pick something kind of similar. All right.
0: Good Day Sunshine or Eleanor Rigby? Wow. You know, that's intentionally tough, but I pick Eleanor Rigby. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, and this is a tough thing and you can only say this with the Beatles. But when you look at their work, Eleanor Rigby is um, I mean, it's a cut above. Right, it's, uh, it, it's a world beater in so many ways. It's got the great poetry. It actually has a moral to its story about loneliness, uh, the failure of institutions to you know, be our salve. Um, it's, a, it's a brilliant tune. It has the, uh, the wonderful story about George Martin and Bernard Hermann, you know, the guy who did Hitchcock's, uh, many of his soundtracks. So um, it's just uh, an enormously powerful story
1: all right so how
0: about here there everywhere or yellow submarine wow i'm gonna go with here there and everywhere and and i I hate to say that because i sure love the the sound effects i recently got an isolation track of just the sound effects and it's it's really fun to listen to but uh for yellow submarine but uh, i guess here there and everywhere to me is interesting in the sense it's like i will on uh on the white album it's the Beatles doing a love song in a period where they're not primarily doing love songs, right? It's not 1964 anymore.
1: Right.
0: And, and yet the love songs they do in those moments, again, here, there, and everywhere, and I will, are almost more powerful because they're slightly more mature, Uh, than they were before and of course there's also just that little shimmering detail and the song does kind of shimmer uh, to me that that John Lennon adored here there and everywhere it was uh, possibly his favorite Paul McCartney song Um, and you know knowing that story and that kind of connection they shared makes it all the more powerful
1: I actually I went Yellow Submarine on that one I'm even giving Ah. the ones that they gave me I just I mean, it's catchy and all the sound effects got me. It made me feel like I was literally writing one. (laughs) Um, So like once you once they got the sound effects in there, I was like, yes, that's it for me. But yeah, obviously here, there and everywhere. Beautiful love song. And you nailed it. I mean, this is not a time wasn't a whole lot of love songs even after this. Right. There wasn't a whole lot. So, um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And another one that they put me on the spot for Dr. Robert one i really love and then she said she said
0: head to head (laughs) it's she said she said for me um i like the kind of nasty texture that the adt creates on that song you know um that's a dr robert is a very effective rock song um there's no doubt about it but she said she said again it's them doing something that is really daring um, and it's important for us to remember In 1966, nothing was settled They weren't the Beatles yet In the same way we talk about them Even in 1970 um, You know, so they, they took a lot of risk with this record And She Said, She Said is certainly one of those tunes Although there's plenty of risk, right In talking about their drug dealer, too <laughs>
1: That's right, I even uh, I haven't got to interview any of the Beatles But I did talk to Denny Lane from the Wings And he told me He told me some good stories on Paul McCartney. So this, uh, I know exactly what what they're talking about. So I kind of moving away from those, you know, for some of the younger listeners that are watching this video or listening to our interview, school them a little bit. We're going to school with you. We're getting a free class here. All right. I guess. um, We're getting a free class from Dean Dr. Womack here. Awesome. Um, You're going into Revolver as a new listener. All right. Tell the the new listeners what they can expect from hearing Revolver.
0: Um, You're going to hear a vast array of styles across 14 songs, and they're going to hit you. And they're not long songs either. You know, there's no link to them. It's a jukebox in a way. Um, And uh, there are a couple of things, uh, I don't know if this will help our new listeners, but there are a couple of things that always stick out to me uh, about this record. Um, And one of them is the idea of a revolving record, right? So this thing comes out in, what, August 1966, and it has never, ever stopped playing. And when I say that, I mean somewhere, somebody every second since it came out has played something from it. So it's never stopped turning like the Wheel of Life. This record, you know, they they ordained something that at least at this moment in time, and I think for a good many decades to come, has never stopped playing. I mean, has Beethoven ever stopped playing after a certain moment? I don't think so. Um, my favorite story about Revolver is uh, just what a leap forward it was for the Beatles, right? And so when i teach the album in class even though jaw excuse me george harrison and ringo star love to talk about they love to talk about how to them rubber soul and revolver were like part one and part two of the same album you know you hear them side to side it's hard to actually hear it in exactly that context but i get that mm-hmm. um, but they had certainly leapt forward with revolver and there's a great story Um, about when they finished Tomorrow Never Knows and John and Paul had those acetates, those demo records they could play. And they were just mesmerized by what they'd made. And they knew that this thing, yeah, this is so different. This is a different kind of home run. And this is a band that's hit home runs, right? Um, And uh, they'd always thought of themselves as artists, but remember, the thing isn't out yet. Well, Dylan's coming through town and uh, Paul says, let's go play it for Bob Dylan. And John's like, you're nuts. He will not react like you want. This will not go how you want it to go. And Paul's like, no, no, we have got to show him. Because, of course, he's their idol, right? He's the guy who helped them enhance their lyrical approach, certainly, if nothing else. And, of course, he... Uh, you know, he turned him on to pot and all sorts of other things. But certainly it was the lyrics. And, of course, by, you know, remember, in 65, John is channeling uh, Dylan's singing style. So in any event, they go over to his hotel and they play him this record. And, you know, John's like, oh, we'll see what happens. Paul plays it and Dylan looks up at them and he says, oh, I get it. You don't want to be cute anymore.
1: <laughs>
0: and, you know, Paul was flummoxed. Uh, And they go back, and John's like, I told you not to. I told you he was not going to react well. But what was beautiful about it, and what's interesting to the story to me when I'm talking to students about the way artists think ambitiously about their work is that Paul knew they weren't cute anymore. And in fact, he hadn't been thinking of them as attempting to be cute probably for a long time, right? At least a year or so. But in his mind because he knew their artistic approach and they knew how seriously and ambitiously they took their work, they were already miles ahead. In fact, they're already miles ahead of Dylan, but, <laughs> but he doesn't know it and they're not even quite sure of it yet. Yeah, absolutely. And so that,
1: that leaves us, you know, cause I know you have, you have a record club where you're actually gonna be visiting. <laughs> Uh, Revolver, which is perfect that we booked this interview just in time. I'm
0: already joined, by the way. Oh, awesome. And I gotta tell you what, DC, I got a lot of records coming up in the next year. You and I ought to co-host one sometime. Do it. I think we'd have a blast. So, I uh, let, let's kick off some ideas offline later. But yeah, Tuesday night. We call it Tuesday Night Record Club. Uh, the tagline is it's uh, it's like book club, but with records. And uh, next week we're doing Revolver. Revolver. Um, And full disclosure, I did not pick it. It was chosen by our audience. They vote on all the albums we do every year. And they selected it and... uh good Beatles friend of mine named Jason Krupa who has a podcast called Producing the Beatles is going to co-host it with me we did Sgt. Pepper a couple years ago okay. um, so do do tune in it's at 7.30 and if folks want to see how to sign up you just go to my website and there's a little banner that says Tuesday Night Record Club and we got lots of bandwidth we'd love to have you um, we do listen to several of the songs all the way through in this case we'll probably play a lot of outtakes and, and go into the pick up the hood and, and look Underneath and talk about how things were made.
1: I love it. I'll leave the link in the description as well. Okay. Oh, beautiful. So we'll leave that. Apparently, everyone's loving Revolver right now. We got fans voting <laughs> on my polls for Revolver. If you're getting votes on Revolver. The world is filling Revolver. I guess Revolver's the album of quarantine. I guess.
0: <laughs> well, it's a good one if you're going to choose something where you can sort of go into another world, and and it certainly does that. That's right. As
1: I say, we time travel, and that's what that's what we're doing with revolvers. So, Dr. Kenneth Womack Dean of Mamas University joining us here to help visit revolver. Thanks so much for coming on again. As always, love talking Beatles with you. Of course, before I let you go, promote some of these books you got. I'm not bringing you on without
0: promoting them. Okay, sure. My latest book came out last year. It's called Solid State, The Story of Abbey Road and the End of the Beatles. Uh, available at all discriminating bookstores everywhere, all over that internet. And my next book will be out in October, perhaps even as early as September. And it's called John Lennon, 1980, The Last Days in the Life. And I'm really proud of this book. Uh, it's it's about John coming up from coming out of his self-imposed retirement and taking one last swing at the fences uh, and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that it's about how he lived and not how he died Absolutely. so it's uh, it's and it's a, such a motivating powerful story when you really take a close look at it and underscore all of the hurdles John had to overcome to make that record um, You know, Yoko gets a very bad rap out in Beatles land, as I'm sure you're aware. I, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily out to change anybody's mind, but what I'm proud of is the fact that I'm going to show you some instances where she stepped up and made that album possible, where she helped give him the courage uh, and, and, and even hovered over him like his protector quite often throughout that process to bring us that one great album. And I know we all dream of that, right? If, if we're at the end of the line, then we want to come out with one more great one. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know a lot of the magnificent things happened that year and it's very inspiring
1: absolutely great stuff I'm all about the positivity and I mean there's so many books out already about the end of John Lennon and all the bad stuff so it's really refreshing I'm interested to hear about the good side you know the good ending for John Lennon and uh, that sounds good thanks for the tease I didn't I wasn't aware of this book so this is breaking news so it's
0: that's okay as soon as I'm allowed to release copies one will go right to you
1: so much and of course we'll bring you on just again talk some more Beatles, all right thank you so much for coming on once again and we'll talk about some of the future on record club and i'll see you then all right
0: all right thanks so much dc time travel with dc hendrix on the music vibes podcast you can subscribe on apple podcasts google play and spotify on your mobile device podcasts by federated media